imaginary competitor, or why competition is good for you until it's not. Hi everyone, David G, speaker, storyteller, and author of the Three Second Selling Platform here with another Three Second Selling Podcast. So I love to ride my bike. Cycling has been shown to increase cardio fitness, improve strength and flexibility, lower stress levels, and of course it's fun. And yes, I probably appear to some as if I fancy myself winning a stage in the Tour de France, draped in spandex, clipped into a fancy bike and all that, and uh, yeah, I guess I'm one of those guys. <laughs> now, I can't ride in the tour, obviously, but I sure as heck can stay ahead of the guy who was challenging me the other day partway through my favorite ride. More on that in a minute. So my experience got me thinking about competition. One second, you're seemingly all alone, and the next time you look over your shoulder, they're right there, gaining ground, no matter how fast you pedal. Competition, though, for the most part, is a healthy thing. In fact, it is essential because it leads to innovation. A competition is also an enemy of complacency. If you are constantly and consistently trying to build a better product, offer a better service, provide a better customer experience, and so on, everyone benefits. Your industry, your organization, your employees, and the end users of your product or service. However, some negative things can happen as well in the name of competition. We can start imitating the competition. We can focus too much on our competitors instead of our business, and it can cause us to take unnecessary risks and stray from our core competencies. Tech journalist Kara Swisher once asked the CEO of Google about his competitors, quote, I've always held the view that you tend to go wrong by focusing too much on competition, he said. Big companies particularly fail because they stumble internally, end quote. So, Companies fail because they stumble internally, not because of competition. Now, I once worked for a very successful entrepreneur who managed to monetize his considerable subject matter expertise in one field and then tried to move into a slightly adjacent area. Emboldened by that success, he expanded and reached even further by now taking him well away from things he knew best. As a result, he kind of lost his ability to see around corners, to anticipate, instead was now always a step behind. And when the easy money spigots that had fueled his expansion turned off and the economy went south, this was back in 2007-2008, he was simply too leveraged and lost everything. Now the whole reason behind his rapid and aggressive expansion was a preemptive strike against the competition. He felt like his bigger competitors would see his success and with more resources and deeper pockets, simply take his blueprint and blow him out of the water. Here's the thing, though. Nothing he was doing was particularly proprietary or classified as intellectual property. It was clear for anyone to see what his operating model was. Does that mean the competition was going to try to emulate or execute his plan themselves? No, not likely. I later asked the CEO of one of his competitors if this was on their radar in their plans at all. He said simply, nope, not our wheelhouse. Well, no one anywhere in the country has done anything like it since, and because of changing market conditions, likely no one will ever try it in the future. Now, Google CEO doesn't say you should never look at what your competition is doing or try to stay a step ahead of them. He's not suggesting competition is never a threat. Instead, he is saying, if you fail, it is likely because of something you did or didn't do, and not because of your competition. 
Quote, you want to be aware of everything that's going on outside, he continued. But at the end of the day, your success depends on your execution, end quote. Now, back to the bike ride. Well, sometimes, as it turns out, your competition, who might be causing you to take extraordinary measures to beat, might not even be aware that you exist. And such is the case with my bike ride. Now, I thought when this guy came screaming up behind me at about the five-mile mark of my ride, he was challenging me to race. I measured the gap, kept looking back, and he kept his cadence up. So I began to pedal faster and then faster some more and expend more energy in an effort to stay ahead. Then I realized if I was to truly stay ahead of me, I had to keep my head down, stop looking back, and just ride my own race. And that's exactly what I did, flat out, as fast as I could go. I live in the Washington, D.C. area, and this particular dedicated bike trail, former trolley line, ends rather abruptly in a busy, bustling section of Georgetown on the waterfront of the Potomac. But there is a place to pull off. As I was slowing down, I was so excited about the prospect of gloating, of looking across at this other guy, this cyclist, self-satisfied, knowing I had beat him one-on-one. Mano on mano, right? All that stuff. Only <laughs> he was nowhere to be found. <laughs> I unclipped out of my pedals, got off my bike, and waited. And waited some more. Now, at first, I figured I'd just beat him by a huge margin. Then after about 15 or 20 minutes, well, I pretty much realized he wasn't coming my way at all. Who knows when he dropped off? It was likely a while back, right? It's also extremely likely he never even noticed me, let alone tried to race me. Here's the kicker. At first, I just realized that I had expended all of my energy riding an imaginary race against an imaginary competitor. And as they say at the summit of a mountain that you just climbed, well, you're only halfway there. I had another 10 miles to go to get back home and it is uphill all the way. So use the competition to spur you on, to help you achieve more than you would on your own. But don't let the competition take all of your attention and your energy and your time, especially, especially if they don't even exist. I'll leave you now with a couple of three-second selling tips and takeaways here at the end. The first principle is know yourself, right? When we take stock of our own story, our own strengths, our own sweet spots, we'll know exactly where we fit in, where we are supposed to go with our products and services, and conversely, where we don't or shouldn't. Here's the second three-second selling tenant. Know your audience. When you understand the marketplace, the pain points, the current solutions, and your solutions, you can pretty easily create a pros and cons summary that can guide you as you ponder whether or not to go in a new direction, pivot, or just continue on the same course. And lastly, and you might know this if you know three-second selling, be deliberate, mindful, and planful about Exactly what it is that you want out of engagement or this new direction or the product and service you are pondering. What is the end goal? Does it fit? Is it potentially a rabbit hole or a dead end? Now, when I hopped on my bike, I wasn't looking for a race. I was just looking to get some exercise. But I got distracted. I lost sight of my goal. And I paid the price with a result I hadn't bargained for. That certainly wasn't as consequential as screwing up a strategic business decision, but you get the point. Run or ride your own race. Take stock of your strengths. Establish the ownership of who and what you are and what you have to offer the world. 
bring clarity to your customers. Give them the tools to be successful in their grand journey and you will be too. Do that and the competition will take care of itself. Good luck riding and running your own race. I'm David G for 3 Seconds Selling. Thanks for listening. See you next time.